Well, she was the lady that ran the supply room at the church for their Sunday school program, and she had never missed a Sunday in years and years and years. But one Sunday, she got sick just as she was getting ready to go to church, and so she wasn't there. And all the Sunday school teachers were uh, frustrated because they didn't know how to get into the supply room. None of them knew the combination to the lock to the cabinet. So they found the pastor and said, Pastor, Pastor, hurry, come down. Can you open the lock? So he went down to the supply room and he got down on his knees. And he looked up to heaven and he, they saw his lips move. And he went back and he turned and turned to a couple of numbers on that lock. And he looked back up and he moved his lips some more and he turned that lock one more time and pulled it. It opened right up. And all the teachers were in awe. And they said, Pastor, you have such great faith. And he said, not really. The combination's written on a piece of tape up there on the ceiling. (laughs) Many people try to appear holier than they really are. You see, the Bible only recognizes two kinds of people in the world. Now, we recognize many other kinds because we tend to uh, denominate people into categories the Bible doesn't recognize. But the Bible only recognizes two kinds of people, saints and ain'ts. That's it. But the Bible also recognizes that some ain'ts try to pass themselves off as saints. And 1 John was written to deal with this issue. If you're a guest, we're in a study of 1 John. So open your Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible, grab one of those pew Bibles and turn it to page 680. And before you leave, go by the hub and we'll give you a Bible to take home. But John is writing to a church that is upset because some people have left. Claiming they're super Christians, that they know more, that they're more enlightened and The group that has been left behind are thinking, well, maybe we're not Christians. Maybe we don't know everything we need to know. And they're unsettled. And so John is writing to them. And one of the main themes of this book is that you better beware some followers are fakers. They're ain'ts pretending to be saints. And this is what he's dealing with. And that's why seven times... In 1 John, you'll read a phrase like, if we say, or he who says, what he's doing is he is repeating what these people who have left are claiming. We've already seen this a couple of times in chapter 1. If we claim we have fellowship with God, but we walk in the darkness, we're liars. If we claim that we don't have any sin in our lives, we're deceiving ourselves. He's attempting to expose bogus Christianity. And so he gives us in this book, and he comes back to them over and over, three tests that we've mentioned. One is doctrinal. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? One is moral. Are you walking in the light? And one is social. Do you love your brother? And that's how you know who the followers are. And who the fakers are. Now, the text that we're going to read in a moment is going to deal with those last two questions. The moral test, are you walking in the light? And the social test, are you loving your brother? Because John's readers have been disturbed by some people who claim to be Christians. 
who want to talk the talk. And by the way, fakers know the talk. And they want to talk the talk. But they do not want to walk the walk. In fact, look what he says in chapter 3. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it's because they're righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil. You see, we want gray in our church, but John is a black and white guy. John says, if you have sin in your life and you know it's willful and it's deliberate and you don't plan to give it up, then don't call yourself a Christian. You don't belong to God. Spurgeon put it this way, an unchanged life is a sign of an uncleansed heart. A Christian who doesn't care that there is sin in his life is an imposter. He's showing that he agrees with the world that the cross is just foolishness. Because basically he is saying by his life, Jesus, your death on the cross is not enough motivation for me to stop doing whatever I want to do, whether you like it or not. I am going to do what I like to do, whether you like it or not, and your cross is not a good enough reason for me to change my life. John says that person is a faker. An ain't pretending to be a saint. A true believer wants their walk and their talk to be a shining example of the character of God. And you don't have to wonder what God's character is like because He has come in the flesh to show us. And so with all this as a background now, let's read our text. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to read verses 3 through 11. We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. You see what John's doing? He's trying to shore up the faith of a follower. And he's trying to shake up the false faith of the faker. So notice he says, this is not a mystery, folks. You don't have to wonder if you're a saint or an ain't. Notice two ways you can be sure. Number one, we know that we know when we walk as Jesus walked. Because as far as John is concerned, an obedient 
Christian is redundant. Did you get that? We'll say sometimes about somebody, well, he's just a very obedient Christian. And John would say, is there any other kind of Christian than an obedient Christian? A disobedient Christian is not another kind of Christian, but a liar. Now, don't get mad at me. I didn't say that. He did. Look at it for yourself. Right there in verse 3. You claim that you know God, but you won't do what he says. You are a liar. Because to know God is to willingly submit to new marching orders for your life. You know that we uh, believe in church planting. We helped Art McNeese plant a church in Flower Mound. We're going to help Luke Norsworthy plant one later this year in Denton. And right now we're helping Charles Kaiser plant a church in Uptown Dallas. In a part of town where a lot of homeless people live. And they're meeting in homes and they're having Bible studies. And, And last fall, a man named Lowell Rhodes started coming to their church. And Lowell started hanging out with these Christ followers. And he he got uh, enamored by their life. And he reached the point where he said, this is what I want to do is follow Christ. And so he asked if he could be baptized into Jesus. And they took him to a pool and they baptized him. And they welcomed their new brother and they prayed over him as he started his new walk in Christ. But did you notice that big book he brought with him to his baptism? It's called the Merck Index. It's an internationally known one-volume encyclopedia on drugs and chemicals. Because for years, Lowell was a drug dealer. And that book helped him know how to recognize and deal and make drugs. And he brought it with him. And as soon as he got baptized, he found a trash can and he threw it away. Because he intuitively understands as a brand new Christian, if you're going to follow Christ, you're under new marching orders. You can't be the person you used to be anymore. Now, John is not saying that if you obey the commands, you will come to know God. No, he's saying if you really know God, you will obey his commands. It's your knowledge of God that's going to motivate your obedience. You see, a person that doesn't obey God is revealing they don't know God. They don't trust God. They don't understand God. They don't know that God is love. And everything God wants us to do is to bless us and help us. See, you don't believe God is love if you believe disobedience will make you happier. Please hear that. Because I hear it all the time. From the man who says he's going to leave his wife and his family. Even though he knows God doesn't want him to. But he says, I just have to be happy. I hear it from the person who's going to be a workaholic. Because they've just got to get a bigger house and a newer car. So they can be happy even at the price of time with their family. I hear it from the woman who is going to hold on to that grudge and that bitterness. Even though God says let it go. Because it feels good to hate. And John says... If you really believe that disobeying God will make you happier, you don't know God. And you don't know His love. You're a 
You're the kind of Christian that goes through a cafeteria line and says, I'll take that and I'll take that. I don't want any of that. You're practicing selective obedience. And you know what selective obedience proves? You don't want a Lord. You just want a consultant. You want someone to come into your life every now and then and give you advice when you don't know what to do. But the truth of the matter is, you're only obeying God when it's what you want to do anyway. You don't want a Lord. You just want an advisor. A real Christian. John says they're going to obey when it's inconvenient. Obey when it doesn't even make sense. Obey when it's costly. And most of all, a real Christian is going to obey because they want to. Not because they have to. Because they know God. That's what he says, look again at verse 5. Those who obey God's word really do love Him. That's the way to know whether or not we live in Him. In other words, if you really love the Father, John says, you're going to want to look like His Son. And if you walk like Jesus walked, one thing is going to shine in your life more than anything else. And that's John's second point. That we walk as He walked when we love as God loves. I want to read to you a prayer that was prayed and recorded in 1964. The language is a little archaic, but I think you'll understand the words. Oh God, our heavenly guide, as finite creatures of time and as dependent creatures of thine, we acknowledge thee as our sovereign Lord. Permit freedom and the joys thereof to forever reign throughout our land. May we forever have the courage of our convictions that we may always stand for thee and our great nation. May the sweet cup of brotherly fraternity ever be ours to enjoy and build within us that kindred spirit which will keep us unified and strong. Engender within us that wisdom kindred to honorable decision and godly work. By the power of thy infinite spirit, and the energizing virtue therein ever keep before us our oaths of secrecy and pledges of righteousness. Bless us now in this assembly that we may honor thee in all things. We pray in the name of Christ, our blessed Savior. Amen. Prayed in 1964 by the grand chaplain of the KKK before the Klansman who heard that prayer went out and murdered three civil rights workers. How? How on earth can anyone claim they are following Christ and condone that kind of hate? John says twice, verse 9 11, it's simple. They're still in darkness. They're ain'ts pretending to be saints. He would say it proves they don't know God because anytime you have a brother problem, it's proof that you've got a father problem. You can know all about God and hate. You can have a PhD in theology and hate. 
You can know all about God and hate. But you can't know God and hate. John says you, you can't know God and keep the luxury of hating anybody. That's how Jesus walked. That's why he was always in trouble. They were always coming up to Jesus saying, why do you hang out with the people you hang out with? And he would say, because I know God. And the God that I know loves everybody, everywhere, every day. And that's why I walk like I walk. John Grogan wrote this book a few years ago that he really didn't think would be a, a big book. And it turned out to be a huge bestseller. It was called Marley and Me. It was his story of this very complicated dog they adopted who was constantly in trouble, constantly making a mess of their lives, and they couldn't stop loving him. Turned it into a very popular movie. And if you saw the movie, you remember where he goes where the little puppies are and he picks the dog that would become Marley. Well, the rest of the story is John Grogan was there for the filming of the movie. And their family needed a new dog. And so he picked up one of the puppies that played Marley in the movie. And the little puppy's name was Woodson. And they took Woodson home. And shortly thereafter, they noticed he had a limp. And so they took him to the vet. And what they discovered is that Woodson had a rare birth defect that caused malformation of his hips. And it was unfixable. That Woodson would limp and be unhealthy all his life. And so Grogan called the breeder to let him know about this birth defect. And of course the breeder was very apologetic. and said, oh I'm so sorry. You bring that dog back and we'll give you a good dog. But Grogan and his wife talked about it. And they said, no. I think we'll just keep Woodson. And so they do. And he'll never be able to do the things most people buy dogs to do. But he'll be happy. And he'll be loved. I think it's an illustration of what Jesus tried to tell us about God. That we are very troublesome people. We're more complicated than we ought to be. We're always making a mess of things. We are severely flawed in our nature. And it's not fixable, at least not until the resurrection. And you know what God did? He wrote a book to tell the whole world how much he loves us anyway. He loves us everyone, everywhere, every day. And John says, this is as old as the gospel. He said, I'm not writing anything to you that's new. I mean, from the beginning, he says, we taught you this. In other words, do you understand how foundational this is? The day you first hear about Jesus, you should have heard you're supposed to love people. That's how foundational it is. To walk as Jesus walked is to love people like God loved people. 
But he says it's also new. And it's new because Jesus has shown us the extent of what it means. In other words, we've known since Genesis chapter 4 that we were supposed to be our brother's keeper. We just didn't know how to do it until Jesus showed us. Look what he says in chapter 4. This is real love. And it's not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Now, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. And you know what? When you love people like God loved people, you don't need any other commands. That's what the Bible says. You don't really need a command not to steal or not to lie or not to murder or not to sleep with your neighbor's wife. Just love people like God loves people. And you'll obey all the commands. Now, remember who's teaching us this this morning. John. Son of thunder. You know why they called him son of thunder? Because he was a hothead. That's why he was friends with Peter. He wasn't just a hothead. He was an ambitious self-promoter. Remember the time he snuck up to Jesus and said, Oh, by the way, Lord, when you get on your throne, can I have Secretary of State? Not only that, he was a bigot. Remember the time they were going through Samaria and the people in the village wouldn't let them stop and eat? And John says, Jesus, call down fire and fry those people. I mean, he was a hothead. He was a self-promoter. He was a bigot because he didn't know God until he started hanging around Jesus. And the more he hung around Jesus, the more he understood the gospel. And they say by the time John was an old man and he would preach, he'd have the same sermon every week. Little children, he would say, love one another. Because the gospel had changed him. And he lived his life as an old man by a simple mantra. Love God. And love people. And I believe real Christians try to keep it that simple. I think one of the great problems in the church day is that we're making following Jesus way, way too complicated. Love God and love people. My friend Bob Robert, he's pastors Northwood Church in Keller. Great church. And they've had a great history of doing mission work in countries where it's sometimes even illegal to be a Christian. And he was in another country some years ago. And at night, he says, this man came up to him in secret to tell him that he was a follower of Jesus. And Bob asked him how he learned about Jesus in this country. And he said about five years earlier, some soldiers came to his village and they just began to slaughter people. He literally saved his life by crawling under the body of a dead person and staying still until the soldiers left. Then he said he pushed this body off of him and when he did something, poked him in the side and he reached into the pocket of the dead man and there was a little volume of the Gospel of John translated into his language. And he read that one little book, the Gospel of John, and decided to be a follower of Jesus. And Bob said, really, well, what did you do then 
to follow Jesus. He said, seek God, obey God. And then he led his family to Christ and some of his friends. And they started meeting and worshiping God in their home, usually in secret. And Bob said, well, how did you grow and disciple these new Christians? And he looked at him and he said, seek God, obey God. You know what? I hope a bunch of pastors don't show up to ruin his plan. (laughs) Seek God and obey God. Love him and love his children. Walk like Jesus walked. That's how the world is going to know who the real Christians are. Because you see, you cannot fake the shine of God's love. Love as a reaction, you see, is normal. If you're kind to me, I'll be kind to you. If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. And if you love me, I'll love you back. That's how people love in the world. Love as a reaction. That's natural. But love as a reflection is not natural. You be ugly to me, I'll be nice to you. You curse me, I'll bless you. You hate me, I'll pray for you. That's not natural, folks. That is super natural. It is only possible because God pours the Holy Spirit into the life of the Christian to help them love like God loves. It is not love as a reaction. It is love as a reflection of the character of God. And it gives undeniable evidence of who the Christians are to a world that desperately needs to lighten up. You know, I have read First John all my life, and I saw two little words this week I've never seen before. Look at verse 8 one more time with me. He says, yet I'm writing you a new command, and its truth is seen in him and you. Because the darkness is passing, and the true light is already shining. You know what he's saying? Is that God is showing the whole world what he's doing through Jesus by the way you and I are shining. We are shining examples. Of what God is doing in the world through Christ. It reminds me of a story Bill Wilson tells. He pastors this inner city church in New York. And it's a very, very rough neighborhood. In fact, twice he's been stabbed during his ministry. And this Puerto Rican woman came to Christ at the church. And asked how she could serve the Lord. Because that's the thing about new Christians. They just intuitively understand. I've got new marching orders. Well. It was hard to find a place for her to serve. Because she couldn't speak any English. But they had this bus. That would go out and pick up kids. And bring them to the service. And, and she said she could love kids. So they put her on the bus. And her goal was every Sunday. To find the most troubled kid. And hold that child in her lap. Because she knew how to say one sentence in English. She knew how to say, I love you. Jesus loves you. 
She'd find a child, just hold that child, and that's what she'd say all the way to church and all the way back home. After a few months, she said she found this boy that was especially troubled. She knew that because he wouldn't speak. It's not that he couldn't speak. It was that the terror of his home life was so great, he wouldn't speak. And so for several months, every Sunday, she'd just grab that boy and she'd hold him in her lap. And all the way to church and all the way home, she would just say, I love you. And Jesus loves you. And after a few months, an amazing thing happened. On the way back from church, that little boy turned and looked at her. And he stuttered, I, I... I love you too. And he gave her a huge hug. And that was at 2.30 in the afternoon. At 6.30, they found his body in a dumpster where his mother had thrown him after she had beaten him to death. And Bill Wilson says, I'm so glad some of the last words he ever heard were, I love you. And Jesus loves you. And that's our mission. And I got to tell you, I am worn out with churches who stand up and condemn sinners for sinning. What do you expect sinners to do? The problem is not that sinners need to stop sinning. It's that followers need to start shining. We need to show the world what real Christians are. Would you stand up, please? We're going to sing a song to remind ourselves how simple. Our mission is, please don't hear me say it's easy. Didn't say it's easy. I said it's simple. Love God and love people. We're going to sing about that. And while we sing, if you would like your elders to pray over you, go to the chapel. If you're ready like Lowell to get some new marching orders for your life, come and confess Christ this morning. We will baptize you into Jesus. And you can start following him while we worship together.